It's really happening. Donald J. Trump is going to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States. Uh, never have been through anything like this, but it's a beautiful thing to watch and a beautiful thing to behold. And we're going to make America great again. We're going to make America great again. Bernie Sanders has put up a real fight for the Democratic nomination. He's won over 9 million votes, but he doesn't really have a path to overcoming Hillary Clinton. So the chances are we're going to have a Trump-Clinton presidential election in November. And that prospect stirred up a fresh debate about whether America's ready for a female president and how Hillary Clinton's gender will help or hurt her in a battle against Donald Trump. The other day, Mr. Trump accused me of playing the, quote, woman card. Well, if fighting for women's health care and paid family leave and equal pay is playing the woman card, then deal me in! Welcome to Special Relationship. I'm Celeste Katz from Mike. And I'm John Prado from The Economist. On today's show, we're going to talk about the role of women in this election. So, Celeste, Donald Trump's poll numbers are amazing to behold, I think. I mean, you look at his approval ratings among men and take away the people who disapprove of him, the men who disapprove of him, you end up at minus 22, which is pretty terrible. But that's nothing compared with his approval rating with women, which at the moment stands at minus 47, which is like the polling equivalent of midwinter in the Arctic. Um, Those numbers are from Gallup, by the way. You know, for context, the last Republican candidate to win the presidency, George W. Bush in 2004, won 48% of women who voted. You know, Donald Trump is a million miles away from that at the moment. So he's got to come up with some way to bridge that gap, right? Two of our reporters from The Economist spent an hour and a half with him in Manhattan on the day of the Indiana primary. And he said that one way that he'd overcome it would be by using his daughter, Ivanka, a lot on the campaign trail as a surrogate to kind of woo women. But I'm not sure that on its own is, is going to make the difference. Anyway, he doesn't seem too worried about it. I won with women. I love winning with women. Right now, Donald Trump is trying to position Hillary Clinton as bad for women. On the campaign trail, he calls her nasty and mean. He calls her crooked Hillary. He rails against her husband's philandering. And he accuses her of enabling him in doing that. She's married to a man who was the worst abuser of women in the history of politics. And Hillary was an enabler, and she treated these women horribly. Just remember this. And some of those women were destroyed, not by him, but by the way that Hillary Clinton treated them after everything went down. And all of this is fairly tame stuff when you compare it to some of the slogans on T-shirts about Mrs. Clinton that you can pick up at Trump rallies. Yeah, actually, I ran into a guy who was selling some of those T-shirts, and... Well, if you want to hear his sales pitch, here it is. Get your Hillary sucks shirts right here. Hillary sucks, but not like Monica. Trump that bitch. So uh, Hillary sucks shirts. What what do you uh, what do you get for one of these shirts here? Oh, uh, they're twenty. Twenty bucks. Yeah, for all that, this doesn't feel like an election that's becoming a battle of the sexes. Partly, I think that's because among progressives, there's a sense that it's a bit embarrassing to praise Hillary Clinton for having two X chromosomes. And it's also hard to find any conservatives who hold the fact that she's a woman against her either. I spoke to some Hillary Clinton fans at an event uh, in Staten Island recently. Some of them were 
very excited about seeing the possibility of the first female president. But I have to tell you, John, a lot more of them said their support for her was more about her experience than it was about her gender. I think that if there was a candidate that was more qualified than her, I would vote for that candidate. So I am definitely in agreement that the only reason that I'm supporting her is not because she's a woman. It just, it helps. (laughs) So where does this woman card business come from anyway? And is it really a thing? Joining us now from Washington to talk about it is Joanne Bamberger. She's a journalist, a writer, an attorney, and the author of the new book, Love Her, Love Her Not, The Hillary Paradox. Joanne, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So a couple of things about your research on Hillary Clinton really jumped out at me. Uh, One of them was this idea that voters are still kind of coming to terms with how they feel about her and this idea that they might have to, quote unquote, forgive her for not being the perfect woman or the perfect candidate. And your book also mentions that women feel that they really have to like a female candidate before they can support her. So can you unpack all of that a little bit for us? Yeah, and and it is a lot to unpack, but... And there actually has been quite a lot of research done over the last few years by a variety of organizations, uh, the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, Harvard, the Pew Research Center, uh, where they've done a lot of work interviewing women and polling women. And the outcome of the research in a nutshell says that for a woman voter to find a woman candidate qualified, they have to find her to be likable. Whereas if you poll women voters with regard to male candidates, that's not the case. And actually, they don't need to find the person likable to support them. Uh, When I wrote the book, I had no idea that Donald Trump would be in the race, but obviously he's a very good example of that. So I, I think when you take a look at that research and you take a look at the kind of society we're living in right now where, you know, for many years... Women have been getting the message through various cultural media about the need for perfection. You put those things together, and it feels like it's it's almost impossible for Hillary Clinton to appeal to a lot of voters in the way that male candidates do. Joanne, the idea that women have to like a female candidate before voting for her seems a bit depressing to me in a way. I mean, it sort of suggests <laughs> that women in aggregate are not voting on the issues. They're voting on something else. Is is that is that a correct reading? I mean, it, it seems kind of anti-feminist in a way. Well, it, it does. And it, I mean, it's obviously the woman has to be qualified in, in other respects. You, know, you can't just pick someone off the street and say, do you like this person and will you vote for them? They, you know, you have to have some shared positions, shared values, um, but they don't have to be particularly or they have to be more likable. And, and I think we've seen that, you know, I think this research plays itself out when you look at Donald Trump and he's almost in a position where he can say any, anything every day that's more horrible than the next and people still vote for him because they feel that they agree with him on various issues, whereas you have many women who say, yes, I agree with Hillary Clinton with regard to, you know, how she handles diplomacy abroad and the relationships she has with foreign leaders or her positions on fair pay and things like that. And there's always this but, um, but she's not exactly like me, but I'm not sure she's exactly likable. And and I agree, it is somewhat anti-feminist, at least in my book. And 
it just sort of boggles my mind. I One of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to try to unpack that research, at least anecdotally, and try to find out from a variety of women across the spectrum, well, why is this? What is the one thing that doesn't appeal to you about Hillary Clinton, and why is that holding you back when you support her and agree with her on the actual issues? So that being said, Joanne, what is it that people... Uh, that women voters particularly don't like about Hillary Clinton? What is the thing that is making them say, but is this a matter of how she looks, acts, walks, talks, thinks, behaves? Is it is it something that you can quantify? It seems to be individual to each woman. And I think that was one of the most interesting things that I discovered, you know, through the essays in the book. Now, granted, it's only 28 different essays from 28 different women, but the theme across those essays seemed to be that if there was one small thing, is it you don't find her authentic? Is it that you did not agree with her vote on the Iraq war? Is it that you felt that she stayed in her marriage to Bill Clinton out of political ambition as opposed to marital love, that there each woman seems to have a different thought on that. And the the question that I have is, is this particular to Hillary Clinton or are we going to see this again the next time we see a woman running for president? Joanne, are men so different? I mean, there's a famous polling question that's often asked when you have two men running for president, which is, which candidate would you rather have a beer with? And pollsters <laughs> used to think that had a lot of salience. You know, are men any better on this score about making up their minds on issues as opposed to, you know, I just kind of like the guy? Uh, yeah, there is that that sort of likability factor with the, be- you know, do you want to have a beer with the candidate or, or whatever it is? Are you going to go out and play golf or go to the basketball game? Um, the studies that I looked at for the book didn't really address that, although there have been studies about that in the past, and especially there's been a lot of polling with regard to male voters and how they view female voters, I mean, female candidates, but not so much in terms of how male voters look at male candidates. So I think that's still a little more difficult to talk about because I don't think people have really focused on that. And I'm guessing because for so long we have only had male candidates running for president. Joanne Bamberger is the author of Love Her, Love Her Not, The Hillary Paradox. Joanne, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Joining us now from London is Anne McElvoy, one of my colleagues at The Economist. And you've covered women who've won election to the top job in Western democracies. Do you think there's still a different set of rules for Angela Merkel than there is for her male equivalents? Well, I think there are often different sets of rules about how electorates like women to present themselves fairly or otherwise. And Angela Merkel in Germany is one example of someone who started out being very popular with women, very popular particularly with women who were at home and were very family-oriented. But she managed to calibrate her campaigns so that she spread her appeal. And now she's as popular with men as she is with women. She's also losing some popularity at the moment because of the migration crisis, but it doesn't seem to be disproportionate. So she's a good example of a long-stayer, if you like, at the top of politics, who changed her appeal from being a bit housefrau, a little bit mumsy, to being something that the rest of the electorate felt they were comfortable with. I guess going further back, Margaret Thatcher, famously in opposition 
um, you know, was told, I, I think, to sort of defeminize herself somewhat. Um, that's, that doesn't happen these days, does it? Or, or is there still a little bit of that? Well, I'm happy to say that I'm not old enough to have covered the early Thatcher campaigns. But I think the interesting thing about Margaret Thatcher was that she both defeminized at one point and refeminized at another. And she was very adept at moving between these gender stereotypes as we might now look at them. So what she did originally was bring her voice down. She made her voice lower, which suggested more authority. But you could also say, well, it's a bit of a patriarchal view of authority. But it seems to work, folks. Uh, at the same time, when she felt that her image was very harsh, she invested in fashion. And there's a big collection, actually, of her wardrobe, which went on sale at auction recently, and I I had to look around it. And it's rather fascinating. It's full of rather flouncy bows, very feminine tailoring. She used to spend hours on the phone with a friend talking about what she was going to wear. And when people tried to interrupt, she would say, no, this is actually a big part of what I do. Now everybody's got 100 wardrobe consultants. It wasn't so common in the 1980s. And I think that feminized view of her really helped her to unite the tough but the slightly tender side that people like that funny mixture about her. I think it's really interesting what you're talking about, this sort of this back and forth between trying to be more masculine to project authority and to be more feminine to appear maybe more authentic. And and it's it's really played out here for Hillary Clinton in some ways. Uh, In her current campaign, there was a very obvious attempt, I think, by uh, the the strategist to to make her a little bit softer and a little bit more approachable. She started out talking about her mom a lot, and she has a, a new granddaughter. She talks about being a grandmother and, you know, being the first president possibly mm. to to color her hair and that sort of thing, which is not exactly sort of traditional Iron Lady stuff, or so you might think. Um, but are you saying that, you know, going forward, you think that that uh, female politicians in Europe won't have to walk that tightrope anymore? Is that is that sort of passe now? I think the tightrope is a subtly different one in different cultures. And if you look at the position that Hillary is in, she has used, as, as you rightly suggest, I think that focus on her as the family person. They, I don't think they think they can win the battle on making Hillary very likeable would be my view. I think what they think is that by making her into a grandmother, so a a sort of matriarchal figure who kind of knows best, who would be the wiser head to run America in the same way, you know, you may love your granny, but she's not always the most fun to be with, but she has respect. She has authority. So I would look at the restyling of Hillary through that lens. If you remember, I remember last time I went to see her when uh, she was at the State Department, big earrings, big power suit. That kind of played out. And I think the Hillary that we're now being confronted with is older, wiser. You may not absolutely warm to her, but you will come to the conclusion that she'd be better than the rest. And all this talk about making Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, more or less feminine, more or less approachable and so on, it kind of raises a bigger question, which is how much does it really matter to people anymore whether we have Uh, a female president now or whether we will have one down the road. A lot of young women especially have uh, uh, supported Bernie Sanders in the Democratic Party, for example, because they feel comfortable that that having a female president at some point down the line is a given. So I was wondering, Anne, if you think that, you know, if if that's a sentiment that already exists in Europe. And and I'm wondering if, if people in Europe look at the U.S., you know, with a sort of what are you guys waiting for kind of attitude. 
I think we have to be very careful about saying that the preoccupation of one generation will be carried on. And I think Hillary has fallen a bit to the wrong side of that, in a sense. There are lots of women, particularly women from second wave feminism who were growing up after the 1960s, who were hankering for this moment of the first female president as this big sign of a leap forward. In fact, the leap forward took place rather differently, didn't it, with an African-American president. So waiting now for the first female president will be extremely important to people who define their views by thinking that is important. But I suspect that it's pretty low salience for a lot of other people and even perhaps for people who wouldn't like to come out and say it doesn't matter to them. But they may be looking for other things, hence the popularity of of Bernie with the left-leaning vote and the youth. And the good point, I think, about Europe is a lot of these female leaders didn't get there by emphasising their feminism. And that may be inconvenient to feminists. I think it's nonetheless true that if you look at Margaret Thatcher, I think really didn't conceive of herself as a feminist in any classically understood term. She just thought she was better than the men. Uh, Angela Merkel, not much interested in isms, sells herself as a pragmatic, a calm person. You could say that she exudes that self-belief that without the women running the show, things might be a lot worse. But it's not a very conscious to the barricades feminism. Hillary falls a bit on both sides. She's a pragmatist, but she very much comes out of that sisterhood of the travelling pantsuit. And I think she does struggle to unite these two images of herself. And Anne, just lastly, can you talk a little bit about how Uh, People in Europe view Hillary Clinton. Obviously, they've had a lot of exposure to her during her time as Secretary of State and First Lady and so on. But, But how do people feel about her now? I think Hillary Clinton did garner quite a lot of goodwill and respect uh, as a tough but very reasonable Secretary of State from the Europeans' perspective. The general European outlook, if there is such a thing, would be anybody but Trump. So to that extent, she must surely benefit from that. I would say something about the Atlantic. It isn't just this big, big stretch of water. It creates a different kind of lens on time. So for many Europeans who are not absolutely in the beltway of politics, they probably still think of her as Bill Clinton wife. They will think of her as someone who went through the mill with him a bit in the White House years. They will be sympathetic to that. But she would perhaps have a different image, a different aura, because the Clinton era, to the minds of a lot of Europeans, still principally means Bill Clinton. She would have to get to the White House to redefine that. So, Anne, earlier on, we had Joanne Bamberger on, who was citing a lot of polling data that suggests that women voters in America have to agree with a candidate, a female candidate, to give the vote to her, but almost more than that, have to like her, which seemed kind of depressing to me and almost slightly sexist. I mean, does that have echoes, do you think, in European politics? I think likability is always very difficult to hash out and it's very culturally determined, isn't it? It's very interesting that polling there, taking that apart a bit. If you look at someone like Margaret Thatcher, you'd be pushed to say, even if you were a loyalist, that she was a very liked politician. And yet, when you looked at the election turnout and how many women voted for her, there seemed to be a lot more people voting for her than said they liked her. So it could be that they were secret Thatcher voters, or it could simply be that they decoupled these two views of her in their head when they went into the polling booth. I think if we look up to date, you would see someone like 
Angela Merkel trading on a basic likability, but not so much, I think, as Joanna's polling would suggest, that you absolutely have to want to go to the hairdresser with this woman or you know, and, uh, sit and have a, a decaf or whatever. You, there's a feeling that she's distant and she's not unlikable, but neither is she ever going to be your best friend. And I think there has been that tension. Do you say about Hillary, she's going to be a bit distant, she's going to be an authority figure, but she'll do the right thing? Or do you say you'd really like her, she's a great grandmother and you could cry on her shoulder. That's a more difficult proposition. Anne McElvoy, thank you. Thanks very much. That's it for this week. Join us in two weeks for another episode of Special Relationship, which you can get on Mike.com, Economist.com, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. If there are any questions you'd like us to answer or things you think we should be discussing, then tweet us. You can find Celeste at CelesteCatsNYC. I'm at John Prudo. Or you could also leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. We read those as well. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Celeste Katz for Mike. And I'm John Prudo at The Economist. See you in two weeks. 